Welcome to the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, episode 32. Yeah, I can't believe it's episode 32. A quick intro really quickly here, uh, and then we'll get to the show. I'm really excited to welcome Andrea Markham to the podcast. She is an author, a yoga teacher, a musician. We talk about, obviously, music, uh, the process of writing her book, and obviously being a yoga teacher here in Los Angeles, which, you know, talk about somebody that I can really connect with. Um, she's a yoga teacher, a writer, and a musician. So she's obviously cut from the same cloth and somebody that I was really excited to talk to. I reached out to her. I read her book about six, seven months ago because I was looking for sort of some inspiration, sort of something to sort of help me as a yoga teacher to communicate to my students in sort of a unique Way, but also sort of in an accessible way. And I think her book, Close to Ohm, is really pretty amazing. And it's really told in a way that you don't have to be a yoga teacher or somebody who sort of pursues yoga obsessively. I think it's just a great book to help people connect with their lives and to find purpose in, in their life. And I just think she's really inspirational. I think she's somebody that you should, you'll connect with. I think she's somebody that is really worth paying attention to, taking her class, maybe going on a retreat with her, read read her book for sure. So yeah, I'm just really excited to have her on the show. And I think what's really interesting, something I've been thinking about lately, I've been thinking about powerful women. And so let me try and explain this. A friend of mine told me a couple months ago, gosh, it's really great that you have women on your show. And I, I said something like, well, yeah, of course, you, you know, why not? And her response was, well, so many podcasts out there and so many things out there just seem to be men talking <laughs> or men having other men on the show. And that's just sort of, I guess, tiresome, which I can understand. And so she was complimenting me that I was able to have all these women on the show. And I was thinking about something about out of the last week, actually, and I think having Andrew on my show really sort of... Uh, brought it full circle for me. I've really become a huge admirer of Jennifer Lopez the last year. And I think maybe because I play her a lot when I'm DJing, I've just really responded to her music and I follow her on Instagram. And she's really just so smart, so inspirational, so powerful, so talented, so creative. She's a dancer, a singer, a musician. Just wow. She's incredible. And so this past weekend, I watched the Beyonce concert from Coachella last year, and I beg of you to check it out. It's freaking amazing. One of the most incredible concerts I've ever seen, and I wasn't even there. I just watched it on a television set. It is mind-blowing. So, my point. J-Lo is, um, her fiancé is Alex Rodriguez, who is one of the greatest baseball players, arguably, but seriously, probably one of the best baseball players to ever play the game. Beyonce is married to Jay-Z, who's one of the most powerful, influential rappers, producers uh, ever. And what's absolutely incredible to me, I've, you know, I see photos of, of them publicly or in newspapers or wherever. And what's amazing to me is as powerful as these men are, A-Rod and Jay-Z, they actually seem so small when they're standing next to either J-Lo or Beyonce. And I'm not talking physicality, I, just presence. J-Lo and Beyonce, and I, I could even argue Michelle Obama when she's standing next to um, Barack. There is something about these women 
that is so powerful. And I think it's the combination of intellect. They're able to do so many things, confidence, their ability to um, motivate the people around them. I don't know. I feel like our country is is ready for a female president. I think it's going to happen. I don't know if it's going to be Michelle Obama, but I just feel like it's just interesting to me. When I see Jay-Z and I see A-Rod, they're, they're so well-known and so powerful and so talented, but standing next to their better halves, they just seem like normal human beings. The, the women in their lives just seem more powerful than them. They, they just, they demand the attention. And I bring this up because when I took Andrea's class, she reminds me, she has that energy. She's strong. She has a powerful voice. She's confident. She knows what she's talking about. She's passionate. She's a writer. She's creative. She's a yoga teacher. I just think her book, Close to Alm, is really worth checking out. I think you should check her out on Instagram or her website and consider going on a retreat with her. I'm just saying all this stuff because I'm so incredibly grateful that not only men, but women want to come on my show and talk to me and share their stories. I'm stoked that I've sort of created a platform where other women are really excited that I'm having these awesome women on the show and telling their stories. So yeah, I'm just really excited. So I just wanted to share that story. I think if you take her class or read her book, you're going to notice just the passion that she has for life. So really excited for you to listen to the podcast. Again, if you want to support my show, you can visit patreon.com backslash Eddie Cohn. Write a review. If you dig the show, that stuff really helps on iTunes. You have no idea how much it helps. And next week, I'm going to be welcoming uh, Paul Teodo to the show. So thanks again, as always, for your support. And I hope you enjoy the conversation that I have with Andrea. I'm staring at your book right now, Close to Ohm. Uh-huh. First of all, Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast, episode 32. What? Yeah, we're in episode 32. <gasps> you have a lot of catching up to do. I sure do. I know. Don't I don't you... think they even gave me those options when um, I was looking at select all. Oh, wow. I, they gave me like 13. Maybe they gave you the best ones or something. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's an algorithm as to what they're showing you. Darn Just algorithms. like Facebook and Instagram. It's a huge part of your conversation with... Um, Calvin. Yeah. I don't think I've heard the word algorithm that many times in a conversation. I'm so sorry. It's okay. It probably won't come up that often with me. You, well, you've already said it twice. So. <laughs> That's it. Well, Cutting me off. Um, Andrea Markham has joined the studio today. I, there's so much that I want to talk about, but it is really interesting that, you know, Joey Peters and I became friends a couple of years, maybe longer than a couple of years ago. Uh, he's the drummer, mm-hmm. musician, living in Topanga now. And I took your class yesterday, and you basically said, "Oh my God, you 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 you're friends with Joey Peter." So, and I texted him, and and I said, oh. "I'm going to have you on the show today." And he basically said, "Don't screw it up, Eddie." <laughs> <laughs> so, what's your musical background? Um, I feel like I've kind of had nine lives, honestly. Yeah. Um, back in the day, I was a singer songwriter, um, working at a restaurant called Angeli Cafe, okay, on Melrose, and. Um, 
I like that was kind of where my sights were set. I was just so sure that I wanted a record deal and a publishing deal and all those things. Wow. I ended up getting a publishing deal oh, in cool. Canada. <laughs> Canada okay. seems to haunt me a lot. And I say that with great affection because right. my husband is Canadian. Okay. Um, I actually ended up winning a songwriting award through ASCAP and I got to go to Lincoln Center and claim it. I had a couple of things posted or uh, placed in TV shows. Oh, cool. Yeah. And basically once I won my award, it was over. <laughs> it seems like that was it. Yeah. <laughs> but I did. I do find that all of the, the songwriting stuff and the singing, and I say it in my book, that really life is like creating a symphony or writing a song. And um, I'm really grateful for all those years of putting together that kind of music. Because yeah. really in the yoga room, I feel like it's music too. And so is life. Yeah. Well, um, hold I on, Andrea. The cat. The cat I know. Hear the kitty. We, you, I, we'll give the cat a chance, but I, I have a. I think I'm going to have to kick him out. Okay. So you sing a song while I go kick out. That's Leah. right. It's oh. funny because I do still have people who come up to me and say, "How's the music going?" And I haven't made music in such a long time that uh, it really does feel like they're almost speaking to someone else, some my the former me. I could tell by taking your class yesterday. I'm sort of a yoga. I'm a yoga snob. That's okay. And I, you're not the only one. I'm going to tell you, I have a list of things that bother me about yoga classes or teachers. Number one on the top of the list: terrible music. And you played great music. I was, and you played <gasps> the new James Blake song, a song from the James Blake record. I yeah. forget what it's called all of a sudden, but it's the my, one that's in Spanish. Yeah, it's my favorite mm-hmm. song on the album. I'm so glad. Yeah, so I was blown away by how great the music was. Oh. You don't have a yoga voice also. Cool. Yoga, you know what yoga voice is, where you're talking really... I, I do. You don't have that either. <laughs> um, you're actually really funny, too. Has anybody told you that you sort of... I know where this is going. Ellen? Yeah. Yes, you do. You, <laughs> I you, wear that as a compliment. It's, no, it's great. <laughs> I just saw her um, show on Netflix, Relatable. Oh, great. So you have to check it out. It's okay, really, really funny. I'll pretend it's me. Yeah. So what happened with the with the music? You um, just sort of come came to your senses and realized that. I mean, how can you win it? How can you win an award, and then say, okay, that's it? You know, when I was making music, it was a really troubled time for me. I was very in love with that whole troubled songwriter. Sure. I had zero self esteem. <laughs> okay. Um, and it doesn't help when you have no self esteem to go then try to. Um, get people's attention for a record deal and that sort of thing. I mean, it's a really tough thing to come by. I would imagine the same thing as an actress or anything else. Yeah. And I, uh, at a very, very low point, stumbled into a yoga class and um, at, the, at my gym. And I remember, first of all, being very nauseated in my first downward-facing dog, and then also mm. being extremely annoyed by the teacher who kept telling me not to bite my lip, and I didn't even realize that I was biting my lip. And then it sort of like became this epiphany to me where I realized it was also all the other things I was biting into that weren't serving me. And I knew when I left that class that I was either never going back again or that I really needed to go back tomorrow. And yeah. so I went back the next day, and, and I because yoga really saw me through a very difficult time in my life, I felt like I could, well, first of all, that I wanted to do a teacher training, which back in the day was not this network of 
200 hours <laughs> right. and 300 hours sure. and people making tons of money um, putting them up. It was just sort of like you went and you found a teacher and you studied and it was understood that your study would be lifelong, really. There was no measure of hours. And I still wow. um, believe that. That's still what I feel like about teacher trainings. And so as I, as I studied... I kind of got thrown into substitute teaching for a guy named Peter Barnett back in the okay. day. I don't know if you, Peter Barnett was a, also a, a drummer. Um, okay. But I, I started subbing for him and it, and I got my first private clients really quickly. And I had no idea what I was doing when and I this went was, to teach these things, by This the was a while ago. That's like 20 years ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I've and been but, doing this a long time. But when you went into that first yoga class, obviously there was no plan to become a teacher. No, why, that was why a did, crunch gym. Okay, so just did somebody yes. suggest you should check it out? Or? I was a, in my dark time, I was chasing everything, uh, and I was um, spinning three hours a day. Oh, that's right. I read that. Step classing, yes. and uh, nothing was ever enough, you know? And then I would go home and uh, eat all kinds of shit and never <laughs> be able to work that off, but try. It was a very punishing time. It was a cycle, you know? It was right. a... Um, and, and I could feel, I think even though yoga was confrontational in a way that was sort of difficult to me, that it had something to reveal to me that was deeper than whatever this cycle and circle and um, chaos I was caught in. So somebody didn't suggest going for like no, psychological I, reasons. It was, it was more fitness. It and, was at the gym. It was at the gym. And I stumbled in. Right. Yeah, by chance. But when, uh, did the, when did the transformation for you happen or what, what was going on where you were thinking... Huh, I'm really connecting with this. I'm really enjoying this, and and it's going a little bit deeper deeper than you know getting decent. You even wrote in your book that Madonna sort of there was this trend going on where there Madonna was. sexualized it or made it more popular because of her arms, and she said it's because of yoga. And you gave another example in your book also that something else happened that sort of brought yoga more to the forefront, into the mainstream. Yeah, but for you personally. When did it sort of shift and become more like, I have to keep doing this and I have to keep going back? I kind of feel like, honestly, that first class caught my attention that way. Not that I thought I'd be a teacher, but there was something markedly different from that experience than all the rest of the clamor that I was up to. Um, And I wasn't sure I was game, you know? Hmm. And then going into... um, I practiced a ton, so I kind of shifted into... Um, asana and and hours of asana and it became like a friend to me to go to and there was an element of stillness which was very new to me and um, I think it just had me drop in and start to be able to be with myself and be athletic at the same time because the athletic part of it was comfortable to me and I felt like okay it's it's all right there's sure there's going to be that Um, and then increasingly and, and this is very ongoing. I mean, to this day, really the stillness and the meditation part of it is what resonates with me the most. When I'm on the road, I will often miss asana practice a lot, but I meditate 20 minutes every morning. And if I don't do that, I'm pretty lost. Wow. So it really has brought me from being an athletic person because I was a gymnast when I was 15. So, or actually even younger than that. So the body image stuff, I I kind of date back to there because you were always heavy. Even if you weren't heavy, you were heavy. And so the punishing workouts and the punishing 
insight into one's self. Uh, it's not that I blame gymnastics, but it didn't help there. Yeah. And it really has helped me throughout all these years to untangle what that was for me, but also whenever you take the focus off yourself and put it on somebody else, um, or a room full of people or whatever yeah. that is, it becomes purposeful and it becomes larger than you, which is really to me the essence of yoga is that it, it's, it's not just about me. Um, and that's my favorite part. That's what makes me do it all these years. You embody everything that I want and think about when I think of a yoga teacher. I mean, I, no, but, no, but seriously, I mean this, I am so happy I took your class yesterday because I thought, you know, even if I didn't go, we could still talk about your book. But, you know, I've been hard on yoga teachers and sort of what I think is happening, especially in the L.A. scene where mm -hmm. a lot of failed actors or models get into it. You know, this whole 200-hour te teacher training means that anybody can become a yoga teacher. Um, and I'm, I took my 200-hour and I just think there's egos that are getting involved. People are doing it for the wrong reasons to get attention or the attention gets, you know, goes to their head. And there was such humility emanating from you yesterday in class. Well, thank you. I didn't feel like, and you have this way of telling jokes. You basically said something where, you know, you could take this crow into a one-legged crow, a ecopata, and... You know, the people in the room will be really impressed. Or you said something where we'll like... We'll all enjoy watching you we'll do it. We'll all enjoy yeah. watching you doing that. Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, because I was a gymnast, all those tricks and stuff, they're great and they're fun and, and they are what they are. But they've never been the truly exciting part or challenging part for me mm -hmm. because I kind of already could do them. Wow. So okay. I'm, I'm a little like my whole career or whatever you want to call this yoga thing is pretty backwards. The gymnastics-y part of it was not that interesting to me because I already knew how to do it. The sitting still part, good Lord, you yeah. know, like that. And it, I would argue that actually for most of us, the sitting still part's pretty hard. Sure, um, definitely. But I do think that inversions and those kinds of things are interesting as puzzles because they are, especially if you're afraid, like if you're afraid of a handstand, then I want to work with you on handstand. If you just want to do it because you think it's impressive, I, I'm not as inclined. But hmm. I think that kicking up into a handstand is like kicking up into the unknown and it becomes a metaphor for everything. It's like going on a first date or opening a new business. And it also means that you have to ask for some help. When I opened my business, I had a, my own studio mm -hmm. for nine years. Uh, and that's what I mean about being kind of backwards. I, it was the first time that I learned how to ask for help. And I called it U-Studio because of the community and the unity that built it. I had three weeks from the time that I left where I was working to when we opened up. And it was in a beautiful Art Deco building, but on the second floor with no signage. So I really needed the help of people to... Um, do the demolition to understand right. what the, like write the deal, all that kind of thing and, and understand about business. Cause I was like a reluctant entrepreneur. I had no desire to, to open my own place. It just became kind of a necessity. And this was before Facebook. So before all the social media that I know we're going to get into the thick sure. of talking about, yeah. but again, backwards, you know, I, um, I came to social media because I had this studio and the only way people were going to know that I was there is by using social media and letting it be a billboard or some sort of a signage yeah. to get people there. And then also, 
you know, word of mouth is really honestly the strongest tool ever. And people come and it feels like their nest. And I, I learned there that the most important part of this whole thing for me is community. And it kind of goes to your point about Crow, where, you know, we don't want to feel threatened by one another, whether that's an arm balance or anything else. Uh, and if we can just be like, that's rad. Look at you do your thing right. and not have it mean like my inability. Do you know what I mean? If we can be in a situation, I feel like in Los Angeles in particular, that's very hard to arrive at where you don't feel threatened by um, the youth of someone else or the numbers in their classroom or whatever else it is that we point to. And if you just stare it down and take the piss out of it and talk about it yeah. and share it, then there's really nothing to be threatened by. We're all in this together, you know, and what you can do, maybe I can't. And why don't we help each other out then? Why, why does that have to be a shortcoming on either side? It means it's a good marriage, you know? Right. I think. I had finished my teacher training, and it was just... What year was this? Just maybe two and a half years ago. Okay. And I took it with Tamal over mm-hmm. in He's great. Culver City. He's fantastic. But after you do a teacher training, you're basically on your own as to figure out you know, how to find your voice, how to get more experienced... And then all, the, and it became overwhelming to me because when I taught my first class at LA Fitness, I could tell people were looking at me like I knew what I was talking about. And it's the reason why I kind of knew a little bit about what I was talking about really wasn't about the 200 hours is because I've been practicing yoga for about 10, 12 years. And I did Iyengar and I did a lot of restorative stuff because I had a lot of health issues and I took Vetus for years and Calvin and Tamal. So that was sort of my experience. Mm -hmm. I remember thinking, I need to to know more. So Paul Teodo posted a photo of your book. Thank you, Paul. Yeah, and he was talking about it. I forgot what he said. But I ran out and bought, because at the time I was, I needed more information. Mm -hmm. So I picked up your book and I was blown away by it. I think it's called Close to Ohm. Mm -hmm. There's so much depth and knowledge to what you're doing. And it goes so far beyond the 200 hours. And somehow, I don't know who decided in the yoga world that 200 hours was enough to make somebody feel like they can be a teacher. I think the Yoga Alliance did that. Really? <laughs> I believe so. Okay. Not sure. Well, they We'd have to go th- through the history of what, but they certainly now um, enforce that. Being in a city where we're filled with so many yoga teachers everywhere, models, actors, like anybody can be a yoga teacher. Hmm. You're so much more knowledgeable and seasoned and experienced than all of these people that are just jumping out of... And so many of the studios are just hiring the ones that just come out and finish the 200 hours. Hmm. How do you feel teaching out here in this city? I always feel like... I'm I'm an imposter that's about to be found out. So I really appreciate you saying that I'm seasoned and that I, I'm good at what I do. I mean, I've done it a long time. I can but, tell. Um, but I, I love learning. I'm currently mentoring the 300-hour program, uh, six amazing, amazing mentees for Yoga Works. And I've been going to their lectures as if I were one of my mentees as a mentor because I just can't. I love learning. And there's always something more to learn. Right now I'm in the middle of reading my friend Jules Mitchell's biomechanics book and she's so smart. Uh, And I just, 
I guess, yes, I, I think there probably are a lot of teachers out there that are newly hatched and, and maybe kind of lost and don't know what they're doing, but I don't really bump up against them that much. Yeah. I think that in life and in yoga, we can also curate our path a little bit and, and decide who it is we want to go learn from and where we want to go spend our time. I mean, I do get a lot of people who email me, like there's been an onslaught of them who say, I hate my corporate job. I'm, I want to quit my job and do a teacher training and do what you're doing or live, live like you're li- living. And I mean, I, I've been slogging away at this for a very long time. I feel, I feel like if we compared paychecks, they'd probably reconsider. Right. And I always say to them, you know, at the entry level, it's $3,500 probably for your 200 hours. And then no yeah. one's going to hire you till you have a 500 hour certificate. So now you're seven grand in the hole. So don't quit your day job. No. Uh, and then you audition for jobs that either don't pay you or pay you $25 a class. I really think that putting the burden of money making on your on teaching yoga is a slippery thing anyway, but right. especially if you've got this sort of like, I hate my job and now everything's going to be different. And I think that when you go to a teacher training, and I do think that the Yoga Works teacher training is very thorough at the 200-hour level and 300-hour, it's much more dense than people anticipate. It's much more like going back to school. You study anatomy and you... You study the sutras, the philosophy, and that's in Sanskrit. And that's, you know, like you said, kind of hard to access. My favorite thing, which is why I wrote the book, is is making those things accessible. Because I don't think they have to be so lofty and academic that they right. lose us all along the way. And they are incredible life tools. And that's how I espouse them. Is not that I think I know more than anyone, but I can speak from my truth of I went through a pretty difficult time and yoga brought me out of it. Um, not that there aren't still difficult times, but yoga still is who I lean into. Yoga and meditation are the places that I go. And I love bringing people to them on retreat with me, in my studio with me, in my classroom with me. I get to travel and um, and meet people who practice with me online who I've never met before, but they feel they know me because I've been in their living room all right. this time. Uh, and it could be argued that even those online classes are a form of social media, right? So, yeah. um, you know, I, I do think it, it, uh, it it's interesting, the conversation of connectivity, because social media and, and online presence can be a connector. I just don't think it should be something that we think is taking the place of real connection with one another. I think you and I are older and we still have a lot of years that we live before social media took off. But I think as time keeps going by, there's going to be less and less people like us and more and more people who know nothing but social media. And people are curating everything they put on there primarily. And our brains react to it as if it's real. And it's not. But I don't think... You know, you and I may know that there's a difference. Emotionally, people are feeling as though they're missing out or there's the comparison factor um, going I feel, on. I feel, though, honestly, um, that there's been a bit of a crescendo of that and maybe a bit of a backlash to that where people, because we're, well, maybe you and I can remember when email was kind of a novelty. Sure. And you were like, oh, look at that. There is an email in my inbox. Uh, and now you're like, oh, God, get, get this 
you know, spam and all this stuff out of my box and you're savvy to things that look like they're fishing. You know, you can recognize yeah, them. Yeah, sure. And I, I feel like, you know, I don't honestly spend a whole lot of time scrolling through social media. I use it as I started with my studio as a, as a way to say, hey, this is going on. I'd love for you to join me. And it's not that I never look at other people, but I, I try not to to spend too much time comparing because whatever I'm doing, it's like, it's a goes back to the crow pose. Whatever you're doing is great. It doesn't mean it's threatening my thing and vice right. versa, hopefully. And what I really try to focus on is what am I creating in real time? And because I'm excited about creating it, I mean, writing a book, it took every fiber of my being to make this book happen. It was yeah. a decade in the making. Um, I had an agent f- five years ago, six years ago, who thought everything I wrote was fantastic. We sent it out to publishers and she would forward me all the rejections and boy, were there. I mean, just everybody hated it. Um, And I gave up. And about a year later, I was on a yoga retreat in Mexico on the beach. And one of my students asked me what my passion was. And I said, you know, it's my book, but I've given up. And somebody else on the beach on my retreat said, oh, you should meet my sister-in-law. She's an agent in New York. And it happened that Lou Lemon was sending me to New York the next week. I worked with them a bit. And I was going to be on a panel for the Yoga Journal Conference. And I met with the sister-in-law agent. Right. And for two years, I woke up at four every morning and I would write the proposal. That's not the book. That's that's yeah. the pitch. It's mm-hmm. the proposal. Um, and I would think it was actually sounding pretty good. And I would send it to Jane. And Jane would rip it down to its studs. And I would start all over again for two years. Uh, meanwhile, my brother's a, a pretty well-known screenwriter. My mom had a bookstore. I could feel like the almost embarrassment of them just thinking like, oh, Andy, when are you going to stop with this? Like, just give yeah. it up, you know? Hmm. And I, I don't know why I just couldn't. I was just compelled. I, I, I'm pretty headstrong. My husband will confirm. <laughs> yeah. But uh, when I set my mind to something, uh, and, and then when we went out um, to publishers, uh, we went to auction. So I had big publishers, but that means that a number of publishers were interested. Okay, wow. Um, and it felt pretty good to, to tell the likes of my mother and my brother that I had signed with St. Martin's Press. But um, my agent was also sort of a guru to me during that time because it's, as you know, full of personal stories. Yeah. Uh, but as we wrote them, and this is, I think, it goes to, to my mind to like what's happening on social media and when one teaches a class or... Um, she said, Andy, this is not a book about you. And it was so great because if you look at the whole world through that lens, this is not a book about you. Certainly, and then before we went to meet with publishers, she, I told her that I said, you know, Jane, just so you know, you're my guru. And she said, oh, but it is a book about you. And I was like, no, 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 you can't take that back. That's my, that's my mantra, you know. Right. Uh, because if you look at things, if you're, if you're in a class, in a, or you're listening to a lecture and you realize, oh, this is just a book about them. It, it doesn't give you a takeaway. It's no longer about you participating. It's not a conversation. It's a presentation. Like right, right now we're having a conversation and mm-hmm. that's really exciting. Yeah. And I think that one thing that's hopeful is that podcasts and I recorded my audiobook. Audiobooks are like, they're very much on the rise. People do, they're hungry for conversation. Yes, we have this visual stimuli, but I think people are hungry for conversation. And what sent me on this tangent was that I think if we focus on what are we creating, then 
these social outlets, these platforms become a way for us to talk about a deeper conversation and what we're already putting in motion. You know, I'm doing a trip to the, uh, doing a retreat or I'm doing a workshop or let's come together on around this cause. Then they're, they're not an affront to me. They're actually a, a way for us to all come to the party together. I do know that people that are younger than us get all freaked out if their photos don't get enough likes. Mm-hmm. I know people are feeling as though they have to post a photo where they sort of are posing or look like a model, even though they're not a model. I know that there's a ton of this going on. And I look at your Instagram and you're not trying to be something. You just are who you are. But for whatever reason, I see this trend of people having to create an image or they're worried that they're not going to measure up. Is it a marketplace thing? I mean, I have students who are not yoga teachers who literally have a million following uh, followers right. and that's their revenue stream. And they've come and sort of apologized to me for it as if like as a yoga teacher, I'm shunning, you know, and I just sort of, I, I tell them all the time, like make your money till the wheels come off because yeah, they will, totally. you know, the, at some point the I wheels think, will come off. Right? I think so. I, which just, I, it's totally a marketplace thing. Mm-hmm. You should, if you're an artist, a creator, you should be using these platforms to show your work. Right. But I, I do think Instagram and Facebook, I do think they're manipulating what we see. And I think we as the users are now curating and manipulating what we want people to see in us. And we're all becoming more interested in the visual than the conversations. Although I, I, I agree with you, mm-hmm. people are searching for it's sort of like vinyl versus, you know, it's analog versus digital, yeah. you know, vinyl, vinyl made a big comeback over the last 10 years. But I think in, in the context of yoga, if you really look at postural yoga and not like the 5,000 year old yoga was sitting and meditating and philosophy, philosophy handed down through an oral tradition, sort of like a podcast of the time. Right. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, if you, there's a great, I wish it was actually a better movie, but there's amazing footage in a movie called breath of the gods, which I have my students look at because it's this grainy black and white, uh, photography of Krishnamacharya auditioning for the Maharaj. Um, and it's contortionism. I mean, there was a heavy influence from Swedish gymnastics, from the, the UK, because, the, you know, the, the English were in India at that time. So military exercises and um, contortionism and bodybuilding was really big in the, U- in the UK at that, at that time. So there's an influence that came in to this postural practice with Krishnamacharya and then, you know, Patabi Joyce and Iyengar being mm-hmm. his disciples that we have so heavily influenced what we do. So if you look at Breath of the Gods, essentially that's Instagram of the time. Hmm. It didn't reach much of an audience. You know, the thing I think that's crazy now is that you that you do have a million followers, that that many people are seeing what you're doing. But the showbiz aspect of it and the idea of trying to be the popular one that gets the Maharaj's money <laughs> has been around, you know? Completely, yeah. Uh, so... And and I think it's it, it gets a little slippery when we when we do talk about any business, including yoga. I think the the big to me the bigger element of it is accountability, is us learning like taking advantage of the fact that we have access to all this stuff, and then really becoming um, accountable for our own choices and our own actions. I feel like that's not so much a part of the conversation, and and I wish that it was. It is in my 
classroom or in my world. But I, I, th- I think that if we could look at it as having access to all this uh, information that, that we then take upon ourselves to decide what's right for ourselves. Um, yeah, I think... It, that that could be a pretty great thing. Yes, totally. I think you are really smart and mature. <laughs> no, you. but I think you know how to take things with a grain of salt when you look at things on Instagram or you know that, yeah, that's not really what it is. Mm-hmm. But I would think that Instagram for me would be you, very different if, I mean, I, you know, again, I've been slogging away for a long time. I've been working on a whole lot of things. Right. And so I use it as a channel to let people know what I'm up to. But I think that if you aren't up to a whole lot of things and you just started <laughs> teaching yoga a couple of years ago, but you're chasing followers or popularity, that would be a little... To me, those are kind of almost different careers. And maybe you're really great at generating all the following and curating those photos. And I I would imagine that's some sort of a gift that I don't particularly Hmm. have. So although we're somehow living in the same title, we're both yoga teachers, in a way we have very, very, very different jobs, right? You just think Instagram is just... A natural, not natural. It's just sort of the it's a big evolution. Advertisement evol- in a way. It's just a big advertisement. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess no one wants to see me at this point doing a handstand in my bikini. No, <laughs> so yeah, um, not. But but, I, but if you look yeah. right in your bikini and you really think that people should see you in it, then I suppose have at it. Yeah, because you know, at some point you you might not want people to see you in your bikini anymore. I don't know. I, again, I, I think, I just think there needs to be more accountability. But well, I, I think, I think but about I, across the board. But I think people are becoming so obsessed with the attention and the likes and, and sort of the quote-unquote fame. If What's crazy is that people's egos get stronger because they have over 100,000 followers or 500,000 followers. But do their, I mean, maybe their egos do, but, but maybe that's radical insecurity, too. I mean, if you've got, if you have to keep this of number course. of likes up, I mean, yeah. good Lord, I'm exhausted thinking about it. I know, I know. It just doesn't sound just, like look, fun. I've spoken, I, I mean, I speak to people in their 20s, my niece and nephew, and, and they are obsessed with Instagram and, mm-hmm. and the world that that creates and the competition and the comparison. And maybe it's not a big deal to you. I think the combination of the platforms doing what they can to get people on them through manipulation, through algorithms. And then when I see people doing nothing but posting, I know everything, or I have the answers, or I look perfect all the time, I think it's... See, to me, that's just like the total Wizard of Oz, man. see the man behind the curtain. Yeah. It really but is. I, I just don't think people are thinking like that. Maybe not. I'm pretty naive. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know? I don't know, but are you... I just kind of don't live in that world. And, yeah. and I just feel like if we can create a community and a world that we want to live in, instead of making it about like what those people are doing. Right. Because they're always going to. They're just yeah, and they're allowed really to. that's really fair. Sure. But, you know, I, I'd rather focus my attention and my energy on what, what it is that I'm, I'm creating and what I'm generating and what we can do together. Well, and, I guess that's probably why I created the podcast. It's part of the reason why, yes, I, started, exactly. why I started teaching because I totally. was thinking they're going to keep doing what they're doing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think there's more depth to yoga and I think there's more depth to our lives. And that's why I created the podcast. Mm-hmm. 
for whatever reason, I just think about the overall big picture a lot. And when I look around and see people staring at their phones all the time, yeah. wherever I go, yeah. when I see the media and Facebook and Instagram doing whatever they can to get you on the phone, and then people, when they're finally posting stuff on Instagram, are are adding filters and doing whatever they can to look their best. I'm not saying that you're naive, but this world around us is happening. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just having a big effect on our culture. And I think maybe the positive end is, yeah, there's people like me and you that are having conversation and creating a podcast, writing a book. But I just worry that the depth, the deeper parts of our life are sort of fading away because people are just mm. scrolling. This idea of volume, like quantity versus quality, um, is kind of something to look at. Because sometimes people think, oh, it's a look at all the people in the room. This must be a, a really good class or what I, and may, and probably there is some, some of that, that discernment, like you, you don't want to go spend your dollar unless it's something that speaks to you. But if you impact one person, that's just as important. I, I actually think like personally impacting one person is more purposeful for me than getting a whole lot of likes in sure. a different context. And I just feel like there is a palpable reality to that. That at some point, even with our, like my nephews and your niece and that at some point you realize that the, th- the things that really matter are, are live in that, in that world and not just on a screen. I just, I do. I believe that we have more to us than that. I think we're in a phase right now. It's not going away. Don't get me wrong. This will still be generated, but I think that there's a hunger for real connection. I've had conversations with marketing people about stuff because I don't know how. <laughs> um, <Sure>. Yeah. <laughs> but they they have said to me that that companies threw a lot of money at influencers. They have have really stepped back from that because email marketing is what gives you traction and actually closes deals. Hmm. That you they, they no longer want to throw all this money at influencers because they don't really see sales. It doesn't really translate to anything that that is um you know, a, a real closing of the deal or a sale. So I think like, I don't know, those sorts of things give me hope because I, like I said, the man behind the curtain concept, I think maybe people are starting to see. Maybe. You seem just more, maybe I'm just slightly more negative about it. I, I don't know. I just, I see, or maybe you're more, I'm going to just do what I can to make my classes, my experience with my students as genuine and as me as possible and I'm not going to worry about all of that other stuff I don't really know how to be anyone other than me yeah so you know I think that's kind of where I'm coming from warts and all it's me (laughs) you know yeah well I felt that in your class yesterday and I guess you're just you were a um, you were refreshing and thank you maybe I need to just be more, I'm going to keep putting out the good, keep putting out the good and not worry too much about what everybody else is doing because they're going to do what they're doing. But I guess part of me also, though, with the podcast, I kind of want to sort of make people more aware of, do you guys realize what's going on? Do you see the fake bullshit that's going on? Do you see how everybody is 
scared to really talk about what's going on. But maybe also in addition to that, give an alternative. Not right. just do you see it, um, but I think so. So let's do something um, of value. You know, let's not just say that doesn't have value. Let's let's put energy and um, create things that are of value. Uh, you know, whether that's an event or a book or just a place where people can come and assemble and have great conversation or move and breathe together or sit quietly or silently together. Right? Yeah. I want to be proactive and, and really let my energy and my time on this planet be about that. And we're not here forever. I have a mother who's uh, getting older and, and having uh, some very severe health issues. And I've been kind of living in that, that time of, wow, I'm not here forever. What do I want to do? Well, I've been thinking about that a lot lately. I think Instagram and social media is just is so meaningless compared to really the, the good stuff. The guts of it. Yeah. And I also think that there's something that's important to me about really honestly creating something, whether that's a class or a book or anything, is that when you create something and you put it out into the world, or even just, just the balls to create it, it's courageous and it's hard. And it's vulnerable. And once you're the person who's done that, you know, opening up a yoga studio in Los Angeles, you know, in an oversaturated market or whatever. But once you've done that, I I think that you're less likely to be, you know, the haters that my mentees are so worried about or whatever that sort of mentality is, because there's, you're, you're never going to make everybody happy. There's not, everybody's going to come and love my class like you did yesterday. And I'm glad that you did, but they're just not going to, not everybody's going to read my book and love it. So you, you kind of have to get beyond that fray, create an environment where we can all appreciate each other's courage and creativity. Again, it brings us back to crow pose. Yeah. <laughs> it just does. I mean, that's why I do what I do is that I, it really does represent that to me is, is somebody else's crow pose is not a threat to me. I'm glad they're courageous and let's really genuinely be in it together. The other reason why I'm interested in you, I started writing a book about a year and a half ago, and I've done a lot of creative things over my life. Um, it's the hardest thing this I've is, ever done I was going to say. Yeah. So I want to talk about that. Okay. Why did you decide to start writing a book? How did that happen? And you said it was a 10-year process, mm-hmm. which I had no idea. I'm only a year and a half in, so I'm a little overwhelmed. Oh, I know. I don't mean to scare you. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I was a singer-songwriter back in the day. Okay. So Uh, And the songwriting award that I got was very lyric specific. So I was a pretty horrible keyboard player, but I I did really love that writing. And then I sort of went to a different keyboard and I started writing um, articles. And somebody said, oh, these should be a book. And that gave me the idea. And I went, figured out how to write a proposal and got the first agent that I got. But I love language and I love communication. Um, And I'm, I'm... probably really sort of a control freak. So I also really like that when you write something, you can review it and, and really make it accurate. Yeah. Um, I, I love that part of it. Then you realize when you're writing a book that you control nothing, really. Right. <laughs> I just, you really get your hands dirty, man. You really get in there and you have to say it in a way that is compelling and clear 
and conversational and accessible and hopefully smart too. Yeah. It just challenges every fiber of your being, doesn't it? Don't you find that? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying. And it's a lonely thing too. Like there's, it's not, yeah. Uh, it's not going to be posted on Instagram, me at four in the morning writing my book. Well, yeah, I even, hours, right? like there's nothing sexy about sitting behind a counter there's, writing a book no, or behind your, not, not remotely. No. And even, you know, I'm thinking about when I'm recording songs, you know, you're in mm-hmm. a studio, you have all this gear and there's mm-hmm. something cool about it. And, you know, you're just with your friends or buddies just making music. But when it's writing a book, it's freaking boring. It's just you. It's just you. Was there sort of an, a, a moment where, again, taking the idea or, or I'm going to actually make a book, when did you feel as though you had enough information? Did you have a, an idea of what you were creating? Well, that, Was I there mean, a structure really to it all? I'm really glad, actually, that it took me 10 years because if I had been published with the first um, agent, it wouldn't have been a very good book. Yeah. And my second agent... Was it was boot camp for writers? I mean, talk about not being sexy. It it really just she does my that agent doesn't do yoga, which was perfect because she would say, "I know you think this is clear, but it's not." And it reminded me actually, like I have a lot of um, video content on Gaia and on Udaya. But um, when I first started doing video audio, I mean video classes and audio for those, I would get some comments about the clarity. Uh, actually, like one, <laughs> right. you know, you only hear the negative comments, but it made me really have to get specific about my languaging because you don't really look at the screen that much when you're practicing yoga, you know, online, right. or e- even in the classroom. So the directness, the accessibility needed to be clear. And then this took it a step further with all this other stuff that I love so much about philosophy and telling stories, examples of how these things have come and become a part of my life. I honestly don't know. I, I just felt this need to, to have, to, to have this book out. I, it, it, I wish that I had that feeling again, because people are always saying like, now when's your second book? Yeah, coming I was going to ask you And I, you know, I just can't imagine doing that if I didn't have this just need to have, I, I don't know where it came from. You know, I guess God or something. Yeah. When did you feel as though you were maybe on to something? It's a very good question. I, I don't know. It's like it kept tapping me. You know, when you're when you're creating something, you just become a vessel for it. It, it comes from somewhere else, whether that's God or you know the the things that are philosophical in this book. It doesn't really matter to me what name you use for it. It is this sort of like being still enough, being enough of a, a catalyst that what you say kind of isn't yours anymore you've just let it come through you it really has that feeling there's a story in the book about meeting Joni Mitchell and um, I was a painter too and I keep meaning to get back to that but her her she says it all comes from the same place music art writing and I, I really believe that and feel that and we just become a vessel for it to me, teaching is that too. Um, the moment I get in its way is troublesome. Like then I'm then I'm in big trouble. But if I can just uh, be present and be in conversation with it, then then I'm kind of on to something. Can you tell the story, the Joni Mitchell story? I met her a few times when I was a singer-songwriter. Okay. And she loves cats, as you and I do. Right. <laughs> so 
You sit at the table with Joni Mitchell and you just realize, wow, I'm out of my league. She is so much smarter than I am and so much more established. But if we talk about cats, right. probably okay. Sure. You know? So the first couple of times uh, that I met her, that was what we talked but about. How did you meet her those first couple of times? Uh, I was working with somebody who knew Larry Klein, her um, bass player and used to be husband. Okay. And so that was the connection there. And then I was invited to Joni's 50th birthday right. party. Okay. That's and the story. I had painted her a card because we had had kind of talked around the fact that she's this amazing painter and obviously songwriter and everything else. And so it was a very surreal experience that we like, one of the things we learned was how to do the cha-cha, you know? And um, then I, I gave Joni the, the card and she took me aside and said, it all comes from the same place and never stop doing all of it. Right. And so in the book, I really emphasize do all of it because I think it is very important. We get in this, you know, I... I do this and I do it this way. And and we really want to go to other people's classes and learn what they're up to, even if it's not what we espouse or end up doing. But I think it's when we get closed off and we think that there's a right way and a wrong way, we're limiting ourselves, um, whether that's writing a book or a- anything else. As Joni said, it all comes from the same place. So you want lots of colors in your palette. We want us to be different. We want to take different things from different situations and again not be threatened by it uh, and use what we use and not shun the things that we don't i do feel like in a weird sort of way technology is sort of dehumanizing us in a weird sort of way you know we want to experience all these things but people are becoming more and more attracted to this one thing and less capable of the other things well i mean i'll speak to that in the book context yeah um yeah, I've written a book. It's really nice when it comes out and your friends are like, oh, I bought five copies or, you know, and people tell you that they bought your book. Now, it's different to buy a book than it is to read a book. Right. And this might go to your worry about society. I, I can tell when I talk to people that they've not read my book. They bought it and they had me sign it. And it's, I'm so glad that they did. Don't get me wrong. Right. But I think it's really interesting that... There are groups of people who really read, and there's groups of people who listen to audiobooks, and there's groups of people who are just wonderful, celebrating friends and people who want to make sure that they supported me and bought the book but didn't ever read it. And maybe that's a little bit of what's happening culturally, is that we want to show certain things, but not necessarily open up the pages and and go in a little bit deeper, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Um, And... That doesn't make me mad at anyone. It's just interesting because I did wake up at four in the morning for many years of my life to to write something that I'm proud of. And I would like for people to read it because I, I hope that I did that to yeah. to start conversations. And to to me, it's a toolkit for things that have been very helpful to me to fully inhabit my life. Well, you talk a lot about, um, and you even said in class yesterday, this idea of stopping to start. Yeah, stop to start. And I was, it's so funny when when you said that at the beginning of class, I was like, oh my gosh, I just it just it brought me back to reading because you bring it up a lot in the book. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What why is that such an important part? The pause. If we're gonna be in conversation and in creativity, we can't just talk over each other. And sometimes that maybe that's what these platforms or what culture can feel like is we're just mm-hmm. talking over each other. The stop is so that we can create space for all those things to happen. And we have to stop so that 
that can happen within ourselves. So it's in the sutras, it's in the philosophy. You know, if you don't stop, you can't write your book. If you don't stop, you can't hear what somebody's saying. And you can't start anew if you haven't stopped the calamity that came before it. And we really have an opportunity to start anew again and again, and it's in every breath. Right? Yeah. It's in it's in the cycle of life and death. It's in the cycle of a day. You know, you kind of look back at your life and there's these chapters. Um, we talked about when I started yoga. Well, it also involved me stopping. I mean, literally sitting still and crunch gym for a second. Yeah. But ultimately stopping a lot of behaviors um, that weren't instant, you know, and, and, uh, and starting, you know, it's not really just enough to stop. It was kind of goes to what I was saying about like, not just, just pointing the finger at what we don't like. Well, what is it that we do like? And that that's in the book as well. I talk a lot about like getting clear on what it is that you feel stuck at, getting clear on what it is that maybe you don't like, but even more clear on what it is that you do like and what you want to further enrich and invite people to and, and, and seek out. I just feel like there isn't enough of our energy spent in that direction. I really do. And that, that this probably, you asked me like what compelled me to write the book. That's probably it. I just think there's power in numbers and there it's scary to create and it's, it's scary to stand up and, and speak to what you believe. But if you do it in an honest way, people will admire that vulnerability because it, they are too. And, hmm. and we're just meeting here. You know, it is, it isn't a righteousness. Yeah. Like that's, that's where it gets dangerous is when it's, righteous and pontificating and things like that. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, there's such an intimacy and vulnerability to creation and writing. Yeah. Do you ever have those moments where you just, you gave up? You're like, this is just, it's a mess. It's not, it's not going to happen. Well, I walked away after the first uh, agent. Yeah, but um, even... But, but the fire was still burning. I don't know. Like, you know, I'm, I, I feel like it goes back to what Jane said. Like, this is not a book about me. My life isn't. It really isn't. Uh, and even the book that apparently is about me but isn't um, is not a book about me. It's a bit like just not taking things too personally. Also, um, that's really sort of that's really powerful because I think I'm guilty of that for sure. Would explain that a little bit more about how can you not take things personally? We are under the impression that that people are much more concerned about what we're up to than I believe they actually are because yeah. they're really concerned about what they're up to. And they're really worried oh, about wow. um, what people are thinking of them, which is, again, where we meet up. We are, we're the same. And oftentimes, particularly when you put yourself in a situation where you're standing in front of a room full of people or you're putting a book out into the world or those kinds of things, you're so certain that everybody is judging you. And they might be, but they're also really worried about being judged themselves. I don't know. That, that's kind of where I try to live. Do I sometimes feel judged or take things personally? Of course. But that's not where I, that's not what I want to put my energy into, um, you know, swimming around in for too long. I'm just wondering if being in the gymnastics world for as long as you were, because you write about that a lot mm-hmm. at the beginning, I almost feel like this is almost like the response to that. It could be. I also, I think it's been an evolution where 
certainly that started me. Even just the gymnastic parts of yoga were interesting to me. Having a studio made me realize that, that community was really where it was at. Right now, mentoring is such a joy. It is so fun for me. And it's a culmination of a few things because I have these mentees for six months and I'm putting them through the paces of what's in my book. The great thing about the 300-hour situation that I'm in with Yoga Works is that they give me complete creative autonomy. I get to do with these six women what I want to do. And it's powerful. We're six women yoga teachers, and we are clear on supporting each other. There's no competition in that room. And I get to watch in real time the things that I wrote about in my book become effective in their lives. And they have a project due after these six months. And I just decided this is not going to be a surfacey project. I want this to be about your Dharma. I want this to align with your Dharma and I want this to be far reaching. And these are the tools that I wrote about and let's see if they work for you guys. And it's so extraordinary to watch it work for them. It's, it, it blows my mind. It's like a full circle life thing. Yeah. Um, and it's so profoundly rewarding to be focused on them and not on me, especially after having a book come out and you have to kind of do the marketing thing and be focused on platforms and you do need to take your picture and do those things. It's so nice to not have that going on right now and to yeah. be focused on these six remarkable women and everybody else. I mean, I've, I've done workshops with the book. I did it in um, Stockholm over two days and it was pretty fun there because there's kind of a, a fair amount of sharing where you, you're in conversation and Stockholm is a culture where you don't share. And they said that to me. They said, well, we're, we're Swedish and we don't share. And I said, well, I'm Californian and we overshare. So we're going to have to meet in the middle. <laughs> um, and it's really fun to take the, the stuff from the book, add asana to it and meditation, stir it up and, and spit it out in various contexts. And for Udaya, who I do online content, mm -hmm. I filmed a seven-day course called Start that's available now. So it's kind of a week long integration of asana meditation and elements of the book that, that you can do over seven days or, you know, come back to or stretch it out or whatever it is. So it's very fun for me to take this stuff and put it on its feet. And this is what I mean. It's like, what can you create? Do all of it, you know, put it in different contexts, throw yourself into where you like the depths of most of these things, I feel like I have no idea what I'm doing. They're going to find out, you know, yeah. and it's, it's great to just have to find the flotation device and roll with it. Who have been your role models or like, I know you brought up Annie Carpenter and I know a lot of people. I love Annie. Um, Benny Marino has been a big uh, you know, he, he told me many, many years ago, he said, Bubby, you're not reinventing the wheel. And actually, when Calvin spoke to you, he, he mentioned not reinventing the wheel a few yeah. times. I was like, I wonder if that's from Mr. Marino. <laughs> um, but he, you know, he's just very simple. And he too is, he is who he is. He's never pretended to be anything other than that. Um, my mother is a very big role model to me. She is scared to death. I, I have a, I write about my mom in the book. She's scared to death of getting on a freeway and flying. And she pulled us out of school and took us to France. And really, I don't think officially cleared it with any of our teachers and just didn't believe in vacations, yeah. but believed that we should go and live in the world and, and you know see things through different lenses and, and made that happen for us. Whether that was going to Iowa during the summers uh, and seeing the world 
in, in the Midwest when we were kind of the black sheep kids from California right. or, um, or living in France for a year. I lived in France for a year when I was 16. So I was an au pair girl, actually. I lived on my own um, and really just wanted to be home getting my driver's license. But in <laughs> retrospect, I realized that was one of the more significant things is just do it differently. Don't feel like you there's a, a set way of having to do things. Have the bravery to go go do it your own way. I want to read something from okay. your book also. Not unlike in my singing days, I stand in front of people and guide them with my voice. It's another example of what Joni was talking about. We let the creative juices flow through us in whatever form they appear. And then, as I've developed my yoga teaching voice, I've tangled with insecurities too. In an instant, what feels like authentic creativity can careen into the fear of being a pontificating poser. With a backdrop of 5,000-year-old philosophy and modern-day postural offerings, weekend teacher training certifications to 90-year-old master gurus, there are a lot of things out there claiming to be yoga, which, wow, it's just such a powerful part of the book. Thanks for reading it. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you, it, it, it changed my life, really. It, oh, wow. it was really... I needed it hmm. because I just felt lost and I needed a way to, and I just love the way that you talk about the limbs and the diagram and, and even just the stick figure postures at the, at the, at the end of the book. I, there's just so much that I really took from it. Thank you. I know um, actually it goes, I think thematically to what we're talking about. The reason that I'm the illustrator of the book is because there was no budget and I think that sometimes, like, and I say this so often in the book, that the obstacle is the opportunity. And that, to me, is another example of it. We can look at obstacles. We can look at filtered pictures or whatever it is that we feel is an obstacle or people's egos or too many yoga te- teachers out there in the world. Um, but that's the opportunity to become better um, or the opportunity to, okay, there's not a budget for an illustrator, then I'll do the illustrations. And it taps back to what Joni told me, do all of it. When you bump up against an obstacle, there is, there's some opportunity somewhere. And that's the like stop. And it may be an extended stop. It might be a pretty long stop off. But to, to find our way to solutions is, is really what we want to be about. How is the yoga room changed for you over the last five, 10 years? Has it changed at all based on our culture or things shifting or people coming in with different intentions or, you know, I suppose it has, but I I also have to say that two of my mentees started with me 15 years ago. And now here they are in the context of being my mentees. Uh, I have, I I have the benefit of an extraordinary group of people who have been with me, like really the whole 20 years of my career. And we've seen each other through changes, and we've certainly seen an influx of new people. And my big thing is everybody's invited to the party, and we will invite everybody. You know, this is one big family, and let's grow the family. Not because mommy doesn't love you, <laughs> and right. ma- not because I haven't seen you for these 20 years being there with me, and, it, and that means a lot. But let's make sure that it never feels like an elitist thing or that people aren't invited to, to do this with us. Have I seen it change? Yes, I've, you know, there've been additions to it. There've been people who have come. I feel like, you know, I know I've evolved and changed as a teacher and what's important to me and that kind of thing a little bit, but really I've stayed sort of the same yeah. too. Um, I really haven't. And even stepping into a situation like with yoga works, it's very easy to get 
kind of the man about it, like, oh, corporate yoga is another, yeah. you know, big evil. And now I work for the man and I couldn't be happier. But right. I also have the calluses to prove that I was independent for um, all those years. And I celebrate my independence standing on other people's platforms, whether that's my publisher or yoga works or, you know, the, the various places that I have uh, online classes. But I mean, I went $30,000 in debt getting out of my lease that I couldn't get out of. And as a yoga teacher, that may as well be $200,000 in debt. I mean, that's really hard. So I, I know that I'm fiercely independent and I know that I really appreciate the community and the platforms that I, that I, that I get to stand on. So I don't think that, I don't think it's black and white, any of it. I think that we can be independents and the, the corporations aren't going anywhere, just like the social media isn't. But what are we going to make of it? What are we going to, as fierce independents, what are, you know, independent thought and independent creativity, what are we going to do? Because we can use those guys who have all the marketing dollars to see our ideas forward. We really can. Mm. And they'll, they'll probably be able to perpetuate that and throw that a lot farther than we can on our own. I do think Yoga Works has the best teachers, or in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that could be argued, but that's not my point. My point is, did you feel coming from the independent studio, how were they when they brought you on? They were was, amazing. They were. Uh, my whole experience at Yoga Works has been amazing. Great. Um, and I know that not everybody has that same experience. Um, I have always studied at Yoga Works. I didn't come up quite the same way as a lot of my, my peer teachers that are at Yoga Works who really are a product of the, the, that system in its purest essence. But as I said, I, I love studying and I've, I've studied with the same people that they have just in sort of a different way, maybe because I had that nine years on the fifth floor right. <laughs> by myself. But that also gave me license because I could just do my own kind of sequencing and there wasn't a big police force up there. I just did what, you know... I didn't want people to get hurt because I was liable as the owner. You do get a very um, sure. a good take on that. But um, all those years in isolation gave me a really good opportunity to find my own voice, probably. But I, I think YogaWorks is a very smart program, and I think it's a great foundation. And then, again, it goes to our accountability to take that a step further. Definitely. To create something different. What's, what's next? I, I have a lot of retreats upcoming. I, I love leading retreats because, as I like to say, it turns your uh, yoga mat into a magic carpet to look into ourselves and to see the world. A lot of times travel is scary for people, but when you come you know, on our tribe and when we mix, it, mix in the yoga, uh, we get to stretch ourselves in all kinds of directions, right? Not just on our mat, but we stretch out into other cultures and see the world and encourage each other to do that again sort of like the crow pose um so i have morocco coming up next year uh i have i'm going to peru in september then morocco um, mexico hawaii uh india so i have a lot of travel coming up and i I really love being on the road and i love i love traveling i also am very excited that i'm going to be doing a workshop at multiversity 1440 december 6th that's an incredible place up in Santa Cruz, which yeah, is what, really where I'm that. from. What is that all about? Um, they they are kind of like the Kripalu of the of the West a little bit. I shamelessly pitch myself to places and mostly get ignored ninety nine percent of the time. Yeah, but uh, they got back in touch with me and they they've hired me to come up, so I'm very excited to do that. And I've, I'm involved in the teacher training program at, at uh, Yoga Works, so I'll be doing more of that. 
um, those are the, that's kind of what's up. Yeah. There's something about you that I really like. You just put yourself out there. And, I and, and that's really hard to do. And it doesn't get enough credit. Hmm. Really putting yourself out there. And I don't mean like the photo at the restaurant in Venice or Bank of Venice, but I mean really, you know, sitting down and, and putting your heart into something, whether it's writing a book or sharing stories in class or... I just feel like you really let it let it all hang out, and I, I think I don't think I know any other way. <laughs> yeah, really well, I hadn't. You should. Let, Nicole, who teaches over playlists, said something very similar. Um, I, I brought up the analogy of she isn't afraid of looking underneath the rock, mm. and I feel like you just you just do it, and it's really. I'm just really inspired and, and really, it's just, it's scary to write a book, write a song, sing, mm-hmm. you know, even singing. It's just so freaking scary. Yep. And I think now more than ever, you know, it just, it takes a, a huge level of just not giving a shit what people think, even though we yeah. all do, even though we all do. You well, know? I, I don't know that it's not giving a shit because you know, I'm passionate about the things that I do. So I do give a shit and it does hurt when, when, you know, there's something other than, um, either constructive feedback or, you know, part of the stop is you have to stop and lick your wounds. Don't you, you know, so that you can start again and let that part go as much as possible or learn from it. That's another one of the obstacles. That's an opportunity. You know, if somebody says something, is there a grain of truth? Is there something that I can glean from that and get better at moving forward? Yeah. I mean, that's no fun. That's what I mean. It's like, it's courageous to put things out there. It's courageous to create. It's easy to have anonymous comments about something and not be the one who actually put in the effort and the time and made something. Yeah. When did the book come out? It came out last year. Okay. I do. There's close to ohm.com where people can be a part of a community. Yeah. And I, it, it's, it's a great little community, actually. And there's also audio exercises that are from the book that people can access there. And it is so extraordinary to hear from people that are reading the book and how it's impacting their life. It blows my mind. <laughs> I'm sure. It blows, like, don't even get me started. We'll be here another hour. Yeah. <laughs> but it is the most amazing thing ever. So I love that. Yeah. Uh, I love to hear what people are getting from it. And it's also very interesting because they tell me what the book's about. And a lot of it is through the filter of what they want to hear or are getting from it. But um, it, it there's not two comments that are the same about what the book's about, really. been amazing to have you here. Thank you. It's been so great being here, Eddie. It's been really cool to talk to you. I know that I've seen you before. Yeah. Um, We've seen each other in these other classes, for sure. Um, So I just, the book's called Close to Om. Thanks again, Paul, for posting it. Paul's actually coming on the show. I'm I'm Skyping with him over the weekend. Can't wait to listen Um, to that episode. I don't know. I just, maybe, maybe... Instagram actually isn't a big deal at all. Maybe <laughs> it's okay. Maybe. And of course you should follow me on Instagram at Andrea Markham. Well, I mean, duh, obviously. <laughs> and <laughs> andreamarkham.com has all the various retreats I was mentioning. Yeah. Amazon has my book. Audible, you can actually get the audiobook for free if you do their free trial. Yeah. And then if you like the sound of my voice, you can just play in the background. 
me well, <laughs> reading you, my audiobook. You check off all the um, requirements for me. You have a great voice. You're funny. Aww. You don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> you give lots of options in class. The music's great. Thank you. Uh, you gave adjustments. Um, you checked them all off. Well, thanks, Eddie. <laughs> I know. You like, like, you... I'm leaving here with a very large ego. <laughs> now that's I'm going to be the, one of those. <laughs> that's the idea. I know. You're going you're gonna to post like five pictures that's on my, Instagram Here comes tomorrow. my bikini photo. <laughs> <laughs> I think. Okay. So we'll end here. I've, I've, I feel a lot more. Um, I can't even talk now. <laughs> I'm all talked out. <laughs> but I'm really happy that you were on the show. Bye, um, Close to Om, close to Om.com, Andrea Markham, who teaches in West Hollywood. I'm at Yoga Works in West Hollywood at Largemont and also on Montana for the West Siders on yeah. Sundays. How is that going over there? It's great. Okay. Because yeah. you're competing against Calvin's I class know. and Main well, I Street. took over Calvin's class. I know. Yes. But so that had to go to a bigger auditorium. Of course. He's yes. so famous now. He is very so. famous. And he's great. Well, we were uh, saying before we were uh, we started taping, I was saying he's so articulate and smart and he curses like a sailor. <laughs> <laughs> but I have to make sure I keep yeah. this part of the interview on the show because... Mm. I'm going to say, Calvin, you have to listen because we talk about you and we're going to talk about him at the very end. Oh, the <laughs> In a world where there's just so many posers and people trying to be something, I just think you're the real deal. Mm. I really believe that. AndreaMarkham.com. I'm so stoked that you came on the show this week. Thanks and for having me, Eddie. Yeah, thanks for having this conversation. <laughs>